Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com Welcome to NapaBroadcasting.com. I'm Jeff Sheckman. It was, of all people, Henry Kissinger who said of academic politics that the reason they are sometimes so vicious is because the stakes are so small. It's not surprising, then, that within all of our local races, including the Board of Supervisors race, where almost a half a million dollars will be spent in District 2, the one of the most contested races is that for College Board of Trustees in District 1. The race has board incumbent Dan DeGuardi pitted against former St. Helena Library Director Jennifer Baker. It is my pleasure to welcome Jennifer Baker into the studio today. Jennifer, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you here. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you decided to jump in this race. You had left uh, the St. Helena Library. You're working for, uh, and you'll tell us about it, uh, Napa Valley Unified School District. Mm-hmm. Why jump into this race for the College Board? Well, um, it was something, education is something that's always been important to me. It's been something that is kind of a, I guess, a family value. My father is a an academic professor. My sister is a teacher. My mother was a teacher. My grandmother was a teacher. My grandfather was a shop teacher. And I'm a librarian. So education was always just kind of in the in the genes. And um, after leaving St. Helena um, and going to work with Napa Valley Unified, I found that I had time on my hands, um, which I, I probably could be spending doing something like knitting or something, but I'm, I've never been good at that. <laughs> so I decided I, I wanted to do something that was in my field of interest and also uh, matched my skill set. And so I started looking around to see what options were available to me. I've had a lot of people ask me why not the school board, but obviously I I work for the school district, so can't be my own boss. Um, So that wasn't an option. And uh, so the college uh, seemed like a good fit, and I knew that this position was going to be up for re-election this year. So I decided to hop in. I had been, uh, when I... I actually started thinking about it a little over a year ago, and uh, as a result, started doing some research and following what was going on in the board meetings, uh, reading a number of reports, and over and over again, I kept seeing things that I felt like would be something that I could help. And so, yeah. Go what ahead. were the ways in which you thought you could bring your skill set to the job as as a board of trustee as you saw the job? Well. If I can reference a couple of very specific things, um, there are a couple of documents that really stood out for me, really kind of spoke to me in terms of things that seemed to be I could help with, and that was the after-action report from the bond election from 2014, and then the other was the accreditation report. Um, the bond, uh, which most people are familiar with, was from 2014, which um, unfortunately did not pass um, by a very small percentage, but it still did not pass. And um, after that happened, the Board of Trustees hired uh, Godby researchers to come in and do a uh, postmortem or whatever you want to call it to take a look and see, you know, what happened. You know, what can we learn from this experience moving forward? So if we ever want to do it again, we can do a better job. And um, they interviewed a number of constituent groups to, and individuals, people both inside and outside the college, and their uh, their report came out that the consensus among all of those uh, different groups and individuals was that there had just not been very good communication um, regarding what the money would be used for. And um, there was also not a very good uh, plan for uh, 
marketing that and just really tying it to actual needs assessment, things like that. So that was the sort of thing that I felt like I could help with because that's kind of my background is working in needs assessment, planning for results and strategic planning, things like that, budgeting. So I was thinking that that would be something that the college seemed to be having difficulty with that I could help with. So that was the first thing that came up. The second was the accreditation report. And again, kind of the same sort of thing. The the accreditation report that came out last February had um, three different things that were found to be um, problematic, uh, out of compliance with the standards. And two of them had to do with setting outcomes for students and for evaluating staff. And the the third one was uh, to do with financial planning. And so I felt that, again, that was something that I had a fair amount of background in because I had done in St. Helena, we had done a needs assessment with the community and really worked with that document to set goals and then using that to set our priorities when making allocations and funding requests in a number of different arenas. So that seemed like something, again, that I would be able to assist with. I want to come back to this accreditation issue because you use the phrase out of compliance. Mm -hmm. And as I understand it, that was not the phrase that was used at all, that it was not out of compliance, that there were areas that could be improved. Let me let you listen to something. Eric Shear, you know, is the vice president of instruction for the college. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At an earlier board meeting about a month ago, Eric made some comments about this very issue. Let me play these for you so you can have a chance to respond. I just want to address a, a couple of things here really quickly. We have full accreditation. We have been reaccredited. We were reaffirmed for accreditation. So that's not at issue here. So when we're looking at the recommendations that come forward from the site visit team, those are recommendations for improvement. So this is not, we, we are not in a situation where, where we are not accredited. I want to make sure that that's really clear in front of the board that when, that when these discussions are being held, accreditation is fine. We have recommendations for improvement. And so it's, re, it's really important to really look at and parse the, the language that we're looking at when we're, uh, when we're looking at the recommendations from accreditation. And that's exactly what the accreditation steering committee has been doing, really getting into this, understanding the language of accreditation, understanding what it actually is that's being asked of us by the by the team um and so you know that's exactly what we've been doing since the time when the accreditation um um, site visit team came last year and we got our letter from uh, the acjc last february so i do i do want to make sure that we understand that we are talking about this in the context that we are an accredited institution and that's not that's not an issue yes no i i don't disagree that nvc is accredited that is never been an issue. It was the accreditation was reaffirmed for 18 months. Um, I know there was um, some, I guess, disagreement between myself and Mr. DeGuardi about that at uh, both of the League of Women Voters forums, where he had said it was seven years. That's actually not correct. It's 18 months, but it, but it is well, true. Well, it is. Let me play you something from Robin Warnell, who is the and I forget what Robin's exact title is, but the the accreditation process is her bailiwick, mm-hmm. and she commented on this at at another meeting. So uh, finally, just to give you a summary of some of the uh, key talking points or takeaways that I tried to highlight throughout this, MVC is in the reaffirmed ban described in ACCJC policy. That's the highest level of action on institutions that have been taken by the ACCJC under the new policy, which was adopted in in summer of 2015. We want to stay there. 
We've been granted a little extra time to address some targeted areas. Uh, and as the ACCJC staff describes it, we've already earned a portion of our seven-year reaffirmation. Work is in progress to address the three priority recommendations, and we're hitting our benchmarks. Yes. So I think we're doing pretty well. No, no, I don't disagree. The, the, but it's still to say that that means there's a seven-year accreditation is incorrect. If you look at the document, it very specifically says that accreditation was reaffirmed for 18 months. Well, as, as Robin indicated, that is the highest level that any institution has gotten since they redid their policies in 2012. Correct, but it doesn't negate the fact that it's not seven years. Let me let me just uh, play one more thing from Robin that I think is relevant to this. At the time of our team visit in the fall, Dr. Willard Llewellyn, who was our team chair, both at the pre-site visit and during the visit, he uh, repeated several times uh, that the team was here. They they knew about Napa Valley College's reputation. They knew what we that we were a great institution at that point, and they were here to help us identify areas for improvement to make us even better. And so that's the positive message that uh, I hope everyone can embrace about accreditation. I will say, unfortunately, in the state of California recently, we've, we seem to have gotten to a place where it uh, feels more punitive. But that certainly is not the intent, and if you read through that uh, ACCJ News, JC News document, you will... Um, Okay, so what does uh, NBC's current accreditation status mean, or what does it mean to be reaffirmed with a required follow-up report in 18 months? First, I want to emphasize that this is a positive outcome for the college. And you might recall, back in February, shortly after we received our action letter from the ACCJC, I described myself as giddy. I was kind of glad that there weren't cameras in the hallway because I was doing some weird kind of running, jigging thing to inform people (laughs) of what had happened. Um, So this slide really uh, highlights some key talking points for the board members and the campus community in general. And this is um, how I would describe our status. And I developed this slide based on really two sources of information. One was reference to the policy that I mentioned before. And the second uh, is conversations that I've had with ACCJC staff members. Okay, so uh, again, I said it's a positive outcome. Uh, our accreditation is reaffirmed for 18 months. I want to highlight that the um, this is the highest level of accreditation that the ACCJC has granted in, in the two cycles that have been uh, conducted since the new policy was uh, finalized and adopted by the ACCJC in the summer of 2015. The key point being that there's certainly nothing in the accreditation report other than improvement that the college needs to be overly concerned about. I guess that's that's the, the overarching point. I would have to respectfully disagree with that, and I wish I had a copy of the document with me because um, it does very clearly state that those three things were out of compliance, and uh, it also very clearly states that the college, uh, if I can try to quote without in front of me, said that the college needed to develop a sense of urgency in dealing with these issues, and that to me says there needs to be some change. Yeah, no. It's Those fine. with the institution <laughs> tend to disagree, but no. I'll, well, I'll and, and I don't think you know, and I don't intend. Here. I no, and I don't intend in any in any case to criticize the institution. I think the institution is that this is a fantastic school. The thing we want to make certain is that accreditation is does continue to be affirmed and. 
so that we can, if they do seven years, if they do an extension beyond that, my understanding is seven years is the typical. And I know that the uh, college is not due for another full uh, review for seven years. But the accreditation right now, as it stands, goes through, well, it was 18 months from the time that that report was completed. I'm not certain exactly when that would be, but then the follow-up report is due in March. The assumption is that if they are happy with the results of that, my assumption would be that at that point, seven years would, or the remainder of the seven years would be granted. But that's not a guarantee that that would happen. Let's move on from accreditation. Sure. I think we've <laughs> beat that one into the ground. <laughs> Talk a little bit about what some of your other issues are, some of the things that you would like to really get into if you were on the board here at the college. Well, I would really like to bring some of my experience with community engagement to the board. Um, I know that we have a gem here in Napa, and I think that a lot of people are disconnected from that. There, when I'm going door to door and talking to people, one of the things I ask on a regular basis is, you know, what is your connection to the college? And over and over, I mean, 50% of the people say, oh, I went to school there back when it was a JC, or my my son's there, or my son was there, or my daughter's going there now. But about 50% say, I have no connection to the college. And then at that point, I say, no, yeah, you do. And for for one thing, it's a community college. For, for the other, if you're paying to live here, and most of us are, then you are contributing to the existence of this institution. And we want people to feel confident about that contribution, even though it's not um, voluntary. <laughs> so but we want people to feel like they are a part of it. And I think that opening up the campus and opening up more opportunities for people to be included, to be having more forums like the ones that, that were hosted here for related to the election, I think are, are a great idea. There's a lot of space on campus that could be used. And I think just making it a go-to destination for people and not just the place that you pass when you're coming into town. Mm -hmm. In what ways, besides campaign forums, in what ways could you envision it being more open to the community? Well, I think that it starts with um, asking the community what they want. And uh, again, that was something that we did when I was in St. Helena. We did a um, visioning workshop, I think was what we called it, but it was mostly a needs assessment. And we did, you know, surveying and the technical side of it and the quantitative side of it, but then we really delved into the qualitative side. And the thing that we, the way that we went about that was that we invited people to participate in the process and we invited people representing all different groups from around the community to come and basically spend many hours with us to talk about what their vision was not for the library and I would recommend this for the same thing with the college not not talk about the college talk about the community what do you want for Napa what do you what do you want um, this community to look like in five years in ten years do you, if your kids move away do you you want them to come back what's going to bring them back and so then once you lay out a vision of what that looks like, then you back it up and say, okay, now we have an agreement on what we want Napa to look like, what we want Napa to feel like. How can the college help make that happen? Isn't that a larger discussion outside the framework and the purview of the college in terms of what people want from from the city of Napa or the county of Napa? 
Is it outside of? No, I, I don't think so. I think it's definitely a part of. I think that the college is um, a piece of the puzzle, so to speak. And the college, I think, also very much like a library, again, since that's my background, is um, it's a, a commons. It's a place that can create a space to have those conversations. So even if the college isn't necessarily leading those conversations, having a place to have them and be a part of it, be at the table, and make certain that the people who are participating in that process are aware that the college has a vested interest in that as well. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the proposal. There have been a couple of forums. It's at the very, very early stages. People may have seen the article in the register a couple of weeks ago about the possibility of using some of the college's land for housing, for affordable mm-hmm. housing, student housing, et cetera. Well, as far as I think the, the term affordable housing is probably not the correct one since that is typically something that would be available to the general public. And what, uh, from what I understand, this would be something well, that could be, be affordable for students, for veterans. Certainly been talked about. Well, veterans, they are, are students. Correct. So, yeah. So if it was if it was for students or for faculty, then yes, that then it would be affordable for them. But it would not be something that would be in a general, like when someone goes to apply for affordable housing elsewhere in the community, it wouldn't be available to them. Right. I mean, that's still part of the conversation. I mean, these, it's at the very preliminary stage. I mean, nobody has said yes or no to anything at this point. It's just a conversation. Well, that was not what I understood from going to the forums because I actually asked that question of Dr. Kraft and Bob Parker. And um, both of them assured the audience that this would be specifically for staff and faculty and students only. And But regardless, um, I think it's an interesting concept. I uh, don't know that right now is the perfect time to be talking about it. I mean, again, it just depends on where we are in the process. If we're talking about it, fine. If we're looking at options, fine. My concern primarily with respect to that is how much time and energy is being spent on that when there are other things that I think are more important. And so I think it's it's perfectly fine to have that conversation and to keep it rolling so that people are, when it comes up again, it's not a surprise. Um, but I would caution against moving forward quickly and it's particularly at the expense of something that is a little bit more important. What would you consider more important on that uh, sort of priority of Continuum? <laughs> well, accreditation would definitely be uh, the thing that's uh, on everyone's mind right now. Um, but then also just in general, getting uh, the budget uh, shorn up and making certain that the operating budget going forward is within the means of the college to continue, making certain that the programs that are available are meeting the local needs. I know that there are a number of people who are very interested in getting into certain programs that they simply are not able to get into because there there aren't sufficient classes. And so I think that, you know, student achievement is something that really should be at the top of the list. For, and student housing is something that will benefit a very small number of people. I think it's definitely something to look at, but not at the top of my list. Talk about what you see as local needs in terms of the college, given the community needs, given areas where the college might shift some of its focus and emphasis. Well, having, since I work at the at the school district, one of the things that I would really like to see is more of an alignment between the school district and the college. I think that 
Um, one of the things I hear from my friends that work here at the college, and I've also read in various reports, and it's not something that's specific to Napa. I think it's everywhere. But that the majority of kids that are coming in, coming out of high school and going directly into community college are not really prepared for college level work. And so they're having, to, they're going through assessments and they're being a lot of them put into remedial programs. And so there's a lot of um, energy being used to make certain that they get the support that they need so that they can be successful. I think that the college definitely needs to keep doing that. But I think that there's something that can be done perhaps with the school district to have more overlap so that we have fewer kids coming to the college not prepared. Um, and then in terms of programs, again, I think uh, really working to make certain that the programs that are already here are being done well. I know that the STEM program is extremely popular mm -hmm. and that it also is one of those ones that does not have adequate facilities, does not have adequate um, classes and uh, class offerings. And it's, you know, got some grant funding right now, but those things go away. And so, I mean, you're always going to be chasing more grants, but it, how, do you, how do you look at that and roll it into your ongoing program, I think, is one of the things that needs to be addressed. And so I'd like to see that. And then just, again, working with the college, or no, sorry, not the college, with the, with the school district to see what types of programs are kids looking into. So, you know, they're, I mean, most 17-year-olds don't know what the heck they want to do. I know I didn't. <laughs> In fact, I don't think I figured it out until I was about 21. <laughs> and, and for some people, that would be early still. Really? <laughs> and so I think really working with um, students that aren't necessarily going to fly through high school with, you know, the flying colors and then race off to that four-year university to be able to uh, make certain that all the kids coming out of high school know what options are available to them. And even if that option is just, here's a couple more years to figure yourself out. What about looking at where the jobs needs are in the in the local community? In our local community, I think absolutely that's something that can be done. I you know I don't know if there has been any. Um, I know that there's the the viticulture program here, and of course there's the culinary program as well. But I think doing even more, you know, with uh, hospitality and things like that, to really work with the local industry to create opportunities for students that are in those programs to get on-the-job experience, because that's the sort of thing that can, uh, it, it can make the work that you're doing in the classroom that more relevant, and it can also, in many cases, line up a job for you when you graduate. Right. I mean, certainly the needs in the Valley in terms of wine, viticulture, food, hospitality, culinary mm -hmm. are all pretty extensive at this point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, well, you've got your look at Calistoga, and they're, they're building the giant hotel up Two there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I forget how many jobs they're needing to fill for that. And I, they've got people that are driving in from Santa, Santa Rosa, Rosa and yeah, and beyond. And I think you know more and more um, it, is it it behooves us as a community to grow our own and and look at the talent that we have here locally and um, you know get the snake eating its tail a little bit. 
Of course, one of the problems in all of this is the declining enrollment, not just at Napa Valley College or the stationary enrollment here, but declining enrollment as one looks at the demographics down the road because the number of young people in this community and neighboring communities continues to shrink. Mm-hmm. No, and I think that's, that that is something that it, it will continue just because, as you mentioned, the demographics, because you know we just have fewer people in this generation. But I think that at this, by the same token, we've also got baby boomers that are living a heck of a lot longer than our parents did. And so providing opportunities for second careers also is an option. I think, you know, lifelong learning opportunities. And I, I spoke with a gentleman just the other day who is a certified welder. He would love to come and take more welding classes, but he doesn't want the basics because he already knows how to do that. So is there something that can be set up um, to explore options, you know, to take people to the next level, even if they're already active in a career? I don't know. But that's the sort of thing that you would need to do a good survey of the community to find out, you know, what are those needs. And then, you know, and looking at future trends in terms of what's going to be needed over the next, you know, five to ten years in, in which industries. Mm-hmm. Come back to this issue of alignment with respect to NVUSD and, mm-hmm. and the college and other areas that you see the need for that, because mm-hmm. that's an issue that does come up repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's something that needs to be explored. I think it, I have had a couple of um, very casual conversations with some board members at NVUSD about that, and uh, I know it's something that they are interested in. And I, I don't know how much of um, the inability to do that in the past has to do with, uh, you know, ed code or how much of it just has to do with people not talking to each other. I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, and I know that the that the college is already working with the school district in terms of the adult school. Uh, so I, but I think that there is more opportunity to do that. And, and also not just within VUSD, when we've got more than one school district in the Valley and we've got the campus up um, in Santa Elena and there are multiple school districts up there as well. So trying to figure out the same for them and you know where where can we cross pollinate so to speak and also uh, providing more opportunities for uh, high school students to when they're in their junior and senior year to take college level courses you know, get that kind of leg up into the academic world. I know uh, someone was telling me that the that there was space created at I think it was at America Canyon High School to host programs down there for exactly that. And don't know why, but it's not it's not happening. So trying to figure out what's going on there and uh, trying to figure out and then again backing up again just with trying to figure out how can we make certain that the students that are coming into the programs here at NBC have the resources that they need to be successful. So if they are coming out of school from NVUSD or from anywhere, really, um, and they're not really adequately prepared, making certain that they have the resources and uh, whatever it is that they need. I think that there's has not been to my knowledge, any effort to follow up with students when they drop a class. 
I think that that is something that could be done that might bring some issues to light. I mean, people drop classes for all kinds of reasons. Mm -hmm. It could be because, you know, you can't afford the book or you have a conflict with the professor or it's at a bad time or something happens in your personal life. But I think if you if you look at the statistics on the number of kids that drop a class and then how how that plays out into those same kids dropping out of a program it's one thing to drop a class I dropped statistics because I didn't do well I did end up having to take it again in in my master's program and it actually did okay so I blame the teacher in that first one so (laughs) but you know we all drop classes for whatever reason but if if you find out you know is there a pattern there uh, of a particular class being dropped or of um, a particular time of day that doesn't seem to work for the vast majority. And those are things that can be addressed. And I think that that can be just as important in trying to make certain that students are successful. And I know that also um, they are there are some fantastic programs that are available to different segments of the college community. And I've talked to a number of friends and also just young people that are recent graduates that gush about their experience here at MVC. They just, they had a fantastic experience. They loved it. And then I think, okay, well, let's find out, let's see if we can figure out what it was that you loved. And and then how can we duplicate that for the students that are not having that experience? Talk a little bit about shared governance, an important part of how this institution is run and, and what your views are about that. Well, I think, um, again, a lot of that just comes down to communication. Uh, yeah, the, there's there's policy that drives that. And the I think it's great that NVC has um, included all of the different elements of shared governance in their board meetings. If you look at board meetings from different colleges around the state, not all of them do. Um, so the fact that those individuals and uh, are able to represent their different groups at the board and make certain that the board is um, aware of what's going on, I think that that is a fantastic step in the right direction. What I think can happen to deepen that is, again, just really more communication. I had a meeting with um, someone from Student Services um, a couple weeks ago, and there seems to be a disconnect between what's going on in the student government with what's going on up at the higher levels. And I think that some of that just means being present and making certain that people within the college are aware that the board cares. And you know, the, and there's also seems to be a perception I've heard expressed a couple of times at the board meetings that um, going to meetings or, or being present at a staff meeting or something of that nature, I'm not coming up with the right words, but just that it might that it would be construed as interfering or if it would be construed as being um, a symbol of distrust. And that to me in itself is concerning because to me, I think that having someone show up to your meeting should show, I care. You know, even I'm not here to interfere. I am here to get a firsthand of what's but going on. But everybody wants to protect their own turf. I of mean, course. I mean, yes, of outsiders. course. I mean, that's just human nature I mean, sure. in any institution. Sure. But again, I think a lot of that has to do with just um, the way you approach and, and also just making certain that, you know, people know that you are there with their best interests in mind. Mm-hmm. 
You've gone to a few board meetings now. You've mm -hmm. been for several months. Talk a little bit about your impressions from that. Of the board? Mm -hmm. um, well, I think that the board meetings take a long time. <laughs> I would like to see uh, just some housekeeping issues. I think it could help quite a bit with just the length of the meetings. <laughs> But uh, I have no problem going to long meetings. I've been going to long meetings my entire life. What I have a problem with is going to a long meeting where nothing happens. So um, and so, I would like to see the board the board um, take a more active interest in a number of things that are going on and actually have conversations and ask questions. And uh, there there is an obvious polarization on the board. Which is concerning. Um, well, let, let me let me just address that for a minute because sure, I want you to comment sure. on it. You said this polarization, and yet if one looks at the board record over the past two and a half years, which I have the statistics on, in two and a half years, ninety I think it's ninety eight point seven percent of every vote taken was either unanimous or six to one. Mm -hmm. So that there's 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 a you know definite meeting of the minds. Well, it depends, I suppose. I haven't looked at those statistics and whether or not there's any qualitative data to go along with the numbers and what were the six to one issues. You know, it's, it's, you know if, if something is unanimous, doesn't necessarily mean that it was controversial. So, <laughs> but um, I think there's definitely... I think I think when I say that there's polarization, it has m less to do with the way things are being voted upon and the way I think that people speak to each other. Um, and I think that that is something that needs to be addressed. And if and I don't know what that what format that takes. If it means we, you know, you go out and do the ropes course. It, <laughs> <laughs> or something but there needs to be uh some breaking of the ice because there there was a very uh, very recently there was um a proposal that came up um that was very reasonable and was shot down and i believe that that had more to do with who was making the proposal than the content also of the another proposal. six to one vote <laughs> exactly actually i don't even know if that actually went got to, to the a vote, vote right i don't yeah right. it's all but it, again it was it was the same sort of thing as like where 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 a particular viewpoint was being discounted not because of the view but because of the individual Talk a little bit about who your supporters are. Everybody's uh, had an opportunity, whether it's the city council races or these races, to talk about you know who's supporting them, who's behind them. Mm -hmm. Well, I've actually been really fortunate to be able to lean on a number of friends. I mean, I have um, I have a couple of of what I guess you could call key endorsements. Um, I've got the Green Party is behind me because I'm registered green, and I've got the um, North Bay Progressive Alliance is behind me, and the uh, Napa County Taxpayers Association has endorsed me. Those are the three organizations that have endorsed me. I have, and then I have um, the vast majority are just individuals, you know, people who I've worked with, people who I have known for many years, people who I who know what my values are and know that I'm a person that can get things done. You have any fun campaigning? I actually am. In fact, um, <laughs> I uh, told 
um, my husband, we we had to we had to come to uh, an agreement early on because I was will I was more than happy to do it twenty four seven. He was starting to get a little annoyed with having to be a, a single parent, and <laughs> and so we have an agreement now that uh, I have to take Sundays off, <laughs> but the rest of the time I am very much enjoying it, and I think that you know. When I'm on the board, I really would like to continue to go door to door. I've really enjoyed getting to know the town, getting to know little pockets of the community that I didn't even know existed, and getting to meet people. You know, whenever I talk with somebody one on one, I always make a little note. Um, you know, what I found out about them, whether it be their their cat's name or that their daughter is in the nursing program or they were born in Texas like me. I, I write those things down, and you know, and I think you know, I certainly don't have the time to, to circle back right now but my hope is that I would be able to do that in the future and and use that as a as a point of reference for for beginning that community engagement effort. Napa Valley College board candidate Jennifer Baker I thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com.